Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. I'm Jay. Today's show is brought to you by the letter C and a new app from Pornhub. We also revisit some of our series survival predictions and get into the do's and don'ts of surviving an abduction. It's time for Categorized. Last week, we took on the letter B and we had so much fun doing it. We thought, here's another week of the letter C. This is movies that start with the letter C. Uh, what are some of your movies that you really like that are with the letter C? So as always, I got five for you. I hope you have five for me. I have five as well. I believe we will have a little bit of overlap because one of our favorite movies starting with the letter C is definitely on our list together. Uh, so I'm going to start with Casablanca, which I know is not on your list because you've never seen it. I've never seen it. No. Casablanca is an incredible film. It totally holds up. It's, uh, you know, during World War II at this bar. And uh, it's all about a love affair that happened before the timeline. And the girl kind of comes back into his life. Look, if you haven't seen Casablanca... Go out and see it. It's a classic for a reason. The story is actually amazing. Um, there are ruffians, there are bad guys, but there's not. Uh, nobody's really so evil in the film. They're all just trying to survive the war, and it's uh, it's one of the best love stories probably ever made. I, I think we should watch it one time. I like that idea. I would watch it anytime. Awesome. Uh, this one, I'm not sure if it's hit your list, but it's definitely a favorite for me. And that is Can't Hardly Wait. It was in my short list. Oh, and it got like a little removed. It just didn't make the top five. I feel like I've seen Can't Hardly Wait 30 times in my life. Yeah, I I really, I think you like this movie more than I do. But Sounds I, like. I do really like this movie. It just, I have a different teen movie on my list that I think is far superior. Okay, so. all right. Uh, so my next movie on my list is Crazy Stupid Love. Hey, that's on my list. All right. So Crazy Stupid Love, Steve Carell. Uh, you know, the reason this one hits me and it hits me hard is I didn't expect to love all the characters in this film. I didn't expect to love this film. I, I kind of thought it was going to be something really normal or typical or like a little rom-com, but it's, it's not. not. It's a whole different thing. And it's it wasn't like a comedy like 40 year old virgin and it wasn't a rom-com, but it really is about love. And, Definitely. and it, and it talks about how crazy and stupid love is. And it's so right, right on the money. And I love the way this movie makes me feel. Yeah. I love Ryan Gosling's character in tutoring Steve Carell. I love Emma stone as the, uh, she knows better to the, than being with the Josh Groban character. And when she finally figures it out, she runs right into Ross Gos Ryan Gosling's arms. Yeah. Um, but then you have the whole love story of their son who loves their the babysitter. And, you know, the babysitter loves Steve Carell. And he's just trying to get through a divorce. But he, I don't know. There's just too many good things to say it's, about there, this film. The movie is different. It's refreshing. And you all, I think anyone anywhere in any stage of life can walk away having learned something from this movie. And I think that's maybe why it's so brilliant. I gotta, I gotta agree. It is. It's definitely brilliant. Um, I can't, I'm trying to remember the first time I saw, I, again, I've seen it like 10 times. 
I just can't remember when. Anyway, uh, here's the one I know is going to be on your list. I didn't realize Crazy Stupid Love was, but I know this one is. Clueless. Yeah, Clueless. That was the other teen movie that I, I had on my list. Of course. So Clueless, Alicia Silverstone, you know, it's 1990-something. The movie, even though it's so 90s, and maybe it's because I saw it when I was a kid, it holds up to me. Well, it, it holds up because, because I don't come from there. I don't come from the rich Beverly Hills going to school with all these people who are also rich and entitled. And I, you know, I, I, but they're all really human. They're all really human. For me, it holds up because I have been that innocent about things that I talk about. Like I, I think everyone does, right? Like, you know, when you're 10 years old, Coke to you is Coca-Cola and in, and maybe once you get older, you realize that there are other ways to think about that word. But like, but you've also been to those parties and you you knew those people like it really holds up because these are real people put into an extraordinary story that I, not everybody can relate to being Cher. Of course not. You know, but Cher still has all these problems that you felt in your life as well. I think maybe it also holds up because it's based on Emma, which I didn't read at any point in my life, but I know that it's a classic. And I think a lot of the best teen movies, the ones that to me hold up more than the others are the ones that are based on these classic literatures. Yeah. Because what it does is it takes- 10 Things I Hate About You. 10 Things I Hate About You. Sure. Totally. And I think that it's one of those things where you take a story that people normally learn in high school- and then you give it to high school students and you make it funny and you realize how how almost universal the story is. That's right. Maybe the situation and the children and the time is different, but the the underlying themes are universal. If you are if you're a younger person watching younger than us, maybe you're just getting into your 20s or you're in high school or you're in high school and you've seen this film, I'd love to know what you think of it because it comes from somewhat my our generation a little Mm -hmm. bit but it would be amazing to hear from the next generation what they thought of this uh of this movie today and if you haven't seen it see it because you probably saw things like mean girls and didn't realize that it came from clueless really oh yeah clueless set the trend for sure yeah uh and then my last of five is Gotta go with Caddyshack. I love Caddyshack. You've got Rodney Dangerfield in his prime. You got Chevy Chase before he was unlikable. You have Bill Murray who, you know, Cinderella story. Uh, there's so many amazing moments in this. And it's Harold Ramis is, is writing all these vignettes. It's about all these different people. You got the guy who wants to go to school. So he's working summer at the the club. You've got the playboy. You've got the rich jerk. And then you've got uh, an incredible villain uh, in Caddyshack. And I think Caddyshack is one of those summer movies for me that I can put on at the cottage any day, anytime. Um, And that's, that's why it's on my list. I don't know if it made yours. I've never seen it. (gasps) That will definitely be going on the list of things to see. I also find Rodney Dangerfield's voice really annoying. So does Becky. And she likes it? I believe she likes it. Okay. Okay. He's not the star. Nobody is the star of the movie. He's not the star of the movie. Nobody is the star of the film. They all kind of get equal time 
And they all have their own stories. Is it a multiple storyline movie? You know how I feel about those. It's vignettes, really. Like, they're so all... it's like sketches, but that are all sort about... Sort of, yeah. A golf course? Yes. Just watch it, and then... We'll, I'll watch We'll it. talk about we'll it. We'll see what do. happens. <laughs> but Caddyshack, to me, is one of the all-time great summer movies, and it is on my list. So, you have heard my five. We have at least two in common. What are your other three? Uh, Chinatown, which you have not I've seen. I've never seen Chinatown. So that's another one for our future. We got to watch this list. Definitely. Um, it is, I, I discovered it in university in a film class that I was taking. And it was unlike a lot of things that people watch in film classes, something that has held up that I have then shared with multiple people and rewatched so many times. Okay. Because there's so much about this movie to rewatch. One of those film class movies that like you actually enjoyed watching. Exactly. It didn't didn't feel like work. (laughs) Yeah. Like I remember when we watched Citizen Kane and I was like, Oh wow. Citizen Kane. Or even like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yeah, you should absolutely watch this movie if you're interested in film. These are also two C movies. One one being one of the greatest films of all time that we haven't even talked about. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the reason I got I to gotta just say Citizen Kane just really quickly, I can't remember a lot about it. I've seen it. Um, when I saw it, I was like, okay, sure, Rosebud, okay. And and then I never really revisited. So I saw it for film class. It felt like work. I understood film wise or like cinematography wise why this was important. Well, it it did change a lot of things in film. Exactly. And so I understand why we have to watch it in film classes. But at no point during the story was I endeared to a character or did I really enjoy myself okay. at any point during the watching. That's it felt fair. like homework. And Cabinet of Dr. Caligari was so old that... It's a silent film, isn't it? It is a silent film. Yeah. And it's it's like... It's so old. I mean, they didn't have lighting the way they didn't have cameras the way we have them today. No. So it's not easy to watch. You're right. not excited. But Chinatown. Sorry. Yes. Let's go back wow, to Chinatown. Like Jack Nicholson in his prime. And he really is good in this. The twist ending. And you're like, what? Do not tell me that twist ending. Oh, I'm not. Telling I know you that. like spoilers. I do, but you got to see this movie without knowing that twist ending. Um, And also it brought me into what it was the first time I really experienced or understood what film noir was or why film noir is film noir. Okay. And one of the biggest aspects of film noir, and I, that's what I, I now like I can identify it anytime I see one that's very, even if it's not officially film noir, it's inspired by it. Uh, it's the concept that you only know what the main character knows, right? So as the mystery right. goes... At no point is there dramatic irony that you like in terms of the mystery of the story. And I like that. So I thought that was really cool. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. What else you got? Uh, Charlie Bartlett, which I know you like. I love that movie. That was hard to keep off this list. I, I bet you the can't hardly wait. Charlie Bartlett's like a similar slot. You know what I mean? A little bit. Yeah, that would have been it. I, for sure. I thought it was a really refreshing and new take on a teen movie. I totally Anton Yelchin is amazing as always. I freaking love that guy. He is so damn likable in that film as a pill pusher. I know. <laughs> like, like he he's a drug like he's a drug dealer. dealer. And and illegal, even though they're technically, you know, legal drugs. 
but he's he's so likable. Well, just, it's it's on the level of just really wanting to be liked by his peers. He's so. Uh, <laughs> I I almost hate any time we talk about him because it, it makes just, me sad. I know. But he's so brilliant and I can't help but always be drawn to things that he does. He does a great job in his work. And this movie is no different. It's also the first, the movie that I think brought back um, Robert Downey Jr. I know, but we talked about this before we started the podcast. You have not seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. You're right. Which is the movie that I believe brought Robert Downey Jr. back. Right, right, right. In a big way. Fair. You probably win because Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is already on a lot of like cult lists and that kind of thing. So Charlie Bartlett isn't, but should be. So if you haven't seen it, go and watch it. Um, And then my fifth one, I think you're going to be shocked. I know I am. Catch me if you can. Oh, man. You know... I really enjoy that movie. It's a really good movie. It's Spielberg. You got Tom Hanks. You got DiCaprio. But it's not one of my go-to return to films. Now, why is it for you? I'm shocked at how many times I've returned to this movie. You know that I don't like to return to movies I do that know much. this, yes. I'm more about seeing something I've not seen. And there's plenty of those out there that I don't return to movies that often. And yet I've seen this movie like five times. Wow. And and I always want to rewatch it like I never not want to watch it. And and it was fun. And and I felt like I got something from it. I thought it was really well made. Also, I mean, you know how much you love Spielberg. You're like the Spielberg. I'm the son of Spielberg in my own mind. That is uh, that's true. I do. Oh, my God. Like, oh, my God, you are the son of Spielberg. I have to choose because I don't think I'm going to choose Spielberg over some of my other. I I. Honestly, I got to be honest, I do not have any idea yet which one I'm going to choose. <laughs> Out of all the movies we've talked about, I don't know which one I'm going to put Me at the top neither. of my list. Um, so anything else to add? Is that all of them? That's all of them. Okay. So, oh man, what are we going to do here? This is not an easy list to choose from. C was harder than expected. Yeah, when, I, when we were first looking at, when I was first looking at see movies to be inspired by and to put on my list um i was like oh there's like no good c movies and then all of a sudden there was all these good c movies totally um so all right i'll i'll start then why don't i start okay so i'm gonna go i can't believe i'm going against casablanca i gotta go with caddyshack what i know i i know i I think Caddyshack is a perfect comedy. I think it holds up. I think you get some legends of their time. I can pop it on whenever at any. If you said, let's watch Caddyshack right now, I would pause the podcast and put it on. There's never a time that I can't watch Caddyshack. I'm like and shaking my head in disbelief. I, that I know. You're and I, and it breaks my heart to do it because all these films are fantastic. But I'm going Caddyshack. What about you? So of all these movies, hilariously enough, my two finalists, the ones that I like don't want to let go of are actually not revered films. You know what I mean? Like Chinatown is revered and I love it. And I've seen it a lot of times. Catch me if you can. Same kind of thing. And Crazy Stupid Love, same kind of thing. And yet the movies that I enjoy the most of my list, Charlie Bartlett and Clueless. Yeah. And out of those two... You got to pick one. You got to pick a winner oh, from man. those two. 
Clueless. 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 All right. So the best movies, in our opinion, it's totally our opinion. We're going to get some hate mail maybe for this. <laughs> uh, Clueless and Caddyshack. Yes, sir. Holy moly. Who knew that that would happen? I didn't know when we went into that. That's how that was going to pan out. I genuinely thought Caddyshack or Casablanca would end up there, but I just can't. I can't do it. Break time. Jay and I found out something kind of interesting about ourselves today. We're both picky beer people. I know, I know, but you know what? It was the it was that strange English ale that we that we tried that started this whole thing off. Because I didn't I didn't really like the hoppy citrusy part of it. Oh, I see. I like the citrusy hoppy, but then it was really sweet. Oh, yeah. So I went back to Guinness because that's your mainstay. That's my mainstay. When I go to a bar, it's like. First things first, get me a Guinness. And I like Guinness, but I have it maybe like once a year, twice a year. And that's good for me. My friends look at me like I'm crazy because in the dead heat of summer, I will order a Guinness. Ah, but I don't find it not refreshing. It is refreshing. Yeah, it is refreshing. It's just very simple tasting. But that's what I like. Whereas for me, I last summer, I learned all about IPAs and hoppiness. And that's what you like. And it has opened me up to like a world of beer I didn't know existed. I love it. And now I can't drink blonde beer anymore at all. I'm like, what is this blonde bullshit? It just tastes like nothing. If it's a really hot day, I'll go with that Corona, but it's got to have the lime. Yeah, I agree. Maybe I can do a Corona, but only with lime. Or, or any kind of blonde beer with a lime. And I better be by like a pool or something. Something. There needs to be some atmosphere to support that decision. But frankly, <laughs> if I'm really telling you what I want, a citrusy hoppy beer is preferred in the summer to me. And in the winter, a simple hoppy beer. So what I'm finding now in my life is that I like the things I like and I don't want to deal with anything that I don't like. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I've realized, well, I guess, I mean, I've been this way since I was a kid. But then, you know, like you go through that phase where you don't want to appear picky. But now I'm like, okay with it. I'm just picky. It's app time. So a couple of weeks ago, Pornhub made big waves in the app world when they came up with trick picks. Is it big waves? Big enough to hit my radar. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But... I don't know if I'd ever use this app. So what it does is allow you to take selfies in your birthday suit and then just like Snapchat, filter out those goodies and like add things like um, propellers on your nipples Mm -hmm. or a cobra snake on your Johnson Mm -hmm. or something weird so that you can actually post these and social media is like, oh, we're cool with that. Or you can send it to your friends and you're not safe for work, become safe for work. Although really, does it? What? I just, why? Why does somebody want to do this? Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. Okay, so as an actor, I have always made it a point that like, this is the career I want to go into and therefore I should never. And even like, this is like even high school me, you should never take pictures or allow the photography of you naked unless you're like getting paid for it in a movie. Yes, no, I know, but sexting's a huge thing. 
It's a huge thing. But I've never done it for that reason. I'm like, because you never know who, what the other person's going to do with it. But you've been with Blake a while. You trust Blake. You just, you never know in life what's going to happen in the future. And I just don't need pictures like that of me. And I don't really understand why. Okay, if I'm going to take, let's say, a naked photo. Right. Why do I want to cover it up? Yeah, I guess I'm like, I'm just confused about this app in general. Like, yeah, I mean, as a guy uh, who was single for a super long time before fiancéing up. Mm hmm. Yeah, there was there was a fair share of, you know, the undercarriage pics, the dick pic, if you will. You've sent dick pics? I have actually sent a dick pic. I've never received a dick pic. Well, no, I, I haven't sent it to you. No, I know that. I'm saying I've never received one from anyone. Oh, ever. Ever. Yeah, but you guys have been dating since babies. Okay, that's not really true, but yes, we've been together for a long time, and so they're just, I don't know, that didn't ever happen. Yeah, so for me, it did happen, and there were times when you'd be late night, alone texting, and you'd be like, you know what, I'm gonna send. Okay, other- But I wouldn't want that person to receive a Cobra or something blocking that. The whole point of them getting that is, well, look at here. Did they ask for it? Well- Cause I Liz sidebar conversation about like naked photos. Uh, earlier this year, a friend of mine he, um he works at uh like a sex shop, and so we were like texting, and he happened to be putting up some dildos, so he like sent a pic of what he was doing, and been like, and I was like, hey, that's like a dick pic. Oh my god, I've never received a dick pic. Does everybody I know in life have they all received dick pics? So then I went and I actually like surveyed all the girls that I know, even people that I hadn't talked to in a few months, I'd be like, hey, weird question. Have you ever gotten a dick pic? And generally speaking, those who received them didn't want them. Interesting. The exception was if they a person was in a long-term relationship and they were like legit, like probably like Skype sex, I would say. I've never sent, I never ever sent one to somebody who... Um, Are you worried that your dick is out there? No. Did you only ever send them without yeah, your face it was, involved? It, never my face. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no. So, but and I never sent one like, "Hey, what's up?" Like right. never like that. We were like in the middle of sexting. Like there was sexting happening. We were escalating the sex. Would you get one back? Yeah. Okay, then I would say that those are desired. Yeah, yeah. I never send it to somebody just willy nilly. Right. But. You know, if I'm trying to think like back then, it was a long time ago, folks. If she had sent me something of her with propellers or Taz, like something weird, I'd be like, what is this? Why? Why? Why are you sending me this? In my opinion, if I'm going to send a provocative picture, I would want it to be covered up because I've I've always had this agreement with myself that I will never be like photographed naked yeah but you know some some people in the past have used like their armed shield mm-hmm. that's enough right right i never need like animated filters yeah you're right the animated filter aspect is really it's weird stupid. it would totally break everything down to be like no i'm out i think that you those pictures are meant to be sent to be funny so my question is if you were listening and you've sent these kind of pics would you use this app would you yeah. use Pornhub's app? Also, if you have received 
a dick pic that you wanted. Ivana just really wants to know how Let many know. people in the world have received them besides her. Yeah. <laughs> she wants, she's building a graph with percentage points. I am. I because am. Because I think it's like 98% of the world have, and she is a part of the 2% who have not. And the people that I I discussed this with, yeah, it was like 80, 90% of people had, had received so it. So it was like picks. eight of 10 people and you were one of the two who had not. Right. Like something along those lines. You know, I don't know if you're missing out on much. <laughs> it's Film Freaks. Chatter for the film fan and all of us. We watched Misery. I don't know why I wanted to sing just there, but last week we asked you to tune in with us and watch the Rob Reiner film Misery starring James Caan and Kathy Bates. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about that film right now. So if you haven't seen it and you want to skip ahead to our next segment, which is series survival, uh, you can do that now by checking the description, but just know next week we are going to chat about field of dreams and we'll be introducing a new segment with this movie. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so, uh, I just watched misery this morning. What did you think? I loved it. Okay. Did, what did you think? I really enjoyed it. Like, okay. I really had a good time. I was actually sitting on this very couch, and I will say a couple of times, I edged to the edge of the seat. Well, last week, was it last week? In the recent past, we have talked about 90s thrillers, and uh, it really is a 90s, like, th this is a 90s thriller. It's very Hitchcockian. Yeah. Because... He uses, Rob Reiner uses the music swells to like amp you up. A scene where he's just trying to get to the door can take like two minutes of just showing the door, showing where he like, but it, every part of it was tense and every part of me watching it was like, <gasps> like, is he, is gonna, he gonna make it? Yeah. Like, and it, and, and Kathy Bates. Wow. Woo. She was out there in this role. She won the Oscar for it. As she should have. Yeah. Uh, Up against your favorite, Julia Roberts from Pretty Woman. She took that from her. From Wait, Julia Roberts was nominated for Best Actor for Pretty Woman? This is a true story. No. Best Actress in a Film. For Pretty Woman. For Pretty Woman. What did she do in Pretty Woman that was at all hard? I don't know, but Kathy Bates beat her. Thank God. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you the facts. I'm so upset. I mostly want to see how disgusted your face is. It's gross. Like if, if you <laughs> if you can imagine the most grossed out face in the world, that's what's happening in my face. Oh, but Kathy Bates is Annie Wilkes. What an awesome, awesome performance. What a cool character. This like mix of just being so crazy, but also but like not using swear words. Yeah. So, yeah. so you cock a meanie doodle or whatever she says. Yeah, Whatever it is that she says, because it was. Like, really, it stuck out. Which was amazing because nearing the end of the film, she actually used the word cocksucker. And I was like, oh, well, you know shit is like yeah. going down. <laughs> Just the progression. And also, like, I, you know what else I thought was really interesting about this movie? There are many movies where females are abducted and they will behave a certain way. And I thought it was really interesting to watch this movie um, because of the way that he reacted and acted as like a male, like very different. You're right. You know, at one point he gives her the finger, like there's animosity there and he shows that animosity. He's not 
I also got, found that he was a lot more calm. He was much more calm like than I've seen. Like the whole way through than, yes. than the average abduction movie with a female in it. Almost the whole plot of what's about to happen is going through his head all throughout the film. Like he knows what he needs to do. He's trying to figure it out and all of it's going on in his head. It's not like it's trying to tell you in overture like what what he's going to do. You're just watching him try and figure shit out. Yeah. And I and I loved that. I thought that was really neat. So basically, if you haven't read the story or seen the film, Misery is about a writer who writes a new novel up in the I don't know where it is. It's somewhere in the mountains. Here's or, here's the best way to describe it. Where the hell it. is it? I don't think that that even matters. He's a writer who is writing a series of novels um, that have a character named Misery, and they're really famous, and he has gained a lot of notoriety, but not a lot of respect. Like, he's not an author that is respected. He's an author who makes money. That's, That's what he is. And in the beginning of the movie, he has either released or written uh, the manuscript for, I think it's just released. He had released... Um, the final misery book that he, he was ever going to write. Yeah, and he killed off the main character. So he's up in the up at a cottage or a hotel in the middle of nowhere. Well, he had just finished a different story, an original that's story, what, one that is maybe a masterpiece. That's what I'm saying. He wrote this book for himself. Right, yeah. So he's like a guy who sold out. He's really rich. He's super famous for this series of novels. He kills off his main character and writes his first maybe masterpiece right so what ends up happening is he kind of flies off the road in a blizzard his car flips his legs get hurt he breaks his arm and kathy bates character annie i mean his legs don't just get hurt they get broken they get broken both of them both of them and annie who is a nurse saves his life really Puts him in a bed in her house. Like puts stents on his legs so that the bones will heal, heal correctly. Yeah, really trying to take care of him. Uh, and then you start realizing this person is a, a mega fan of his who has maybe been stalking him. Maybe maybe she knows where he was going to be. That's, you know. Yeah, she knows a lot of details about him. And yeah. the more it comes out how much of a fan she is, the more it goes from endearing to terrifying. Terrifying. So what ends up happening is, well, while he's being nursed back to health, she reads his book, his new book. And well, and and the misery, the last misery book. Right. Which hadn't been released at the time, mm-hmm. but it's released afterwards. Um and she runs to the store. She gets it. She comes home. She reads the whole thing, finds out that Misery's dead and loses it. Loses it. Like loses it to the point of like, you cannot take this from me. Misery must live. You're going to write a new book about how Misery lives. She threatens him. She Now, I have a question for you. Abuses him. Like at this point in the movie, when she learns that Misery's dead, um, that's a, a turning point in the film. And my question to you is, do you think that she was going to actually like bring him back out into the world up until this point? Or has she always like from the moment that she took him, was she planning on keeping him? Well, I. That's because she's crazy. I mean, once you get to realize how crazy she is, she's crazy the whole way through. Right. And the and the real and, and I think it's up for debate as to whether or not. 
she knew that she was going to abduct, abduct him in her minds forever or if she actually thought that she would take him to a hospital and release him. I don't think she was going to take him to the hospital. I think... You think from the moment that from, she took him to the car, it was like premeditated. Yeah, I think she didn't realize the car was going to flip, but then f- saw the opportunity to take him. And because she loves him so much, she was never going to let him go. She didn't look surprised when she saved him. But I think that she had in her own mind planned to release him at some point. And I think that when she found out that misery died, that was when things just switched. Well, well, it switched, but it didn't switch at the same time because when she got back in from town with the book, he asked if she had called anybody. Yeah. And she lied to him. You're definitely right. Yeah. So at that point you realize, okay. Yeah, you're right. She is holding him. She's not holding. calling anyone. Yeah. She hasn't found out about Misery's death in the Maybe. book. She just wanted to keep him. She just wanted to keep him. Okay, good. You've convinced me. Yeah. Um, after you realize that he is in a, a world of trouble, you, I don't think I've rooted for a character more. Oh, yeah. And liked a villain more. Yeah, like I I felt for her. You felt for her. The more horrible she got, the more I just felt sorry for her. You did. And then at the, I mean, at the nearing the end of the film when she kills, uh, so there's a, a sheriff who's doing better police work than all the other police. Yeah. And he, he sort of finds his way there. And I also really loved him. Usually I hate the cops fantastic. in these movies. Yeah. And I usually hate when these movies bring in the cop. This movie was the exception to that. So good. It felt like a Cohen character. Yeah, totally. Uh, um, so the cop is an older gentleman. He's very respectful. He goes through the house he, and he discovers Paul Sheldon, who's played by James Conn in the basement. And he gets shot with a shotgun. Yeah. And you are like, okay. At that moment, I was like, fuck you, Annie Wilkes. Yeah. That, well, was, that, that was my like. There's no going back. No going back now. I do not like you. Like there is. Well, and that at that moment, she knows she's going to kill herself and, and like him. murder suicide is happening. Yeah, definitely. There's a moment in the film where uh, James Conn, who's just doing everything in his power to stay alive, asks Annie to have dinner with him. Oh, I hate. Oh. And so he's been building up all these pills and putting them in this little envelope sack so that he can drug her drink. Yeah. And what ends up happening is she leaves the room and he, he gets it in there and everything's good. And then he puts it down and they make a toast and she spills the drink during the toast. And you feel like, I don't know if she knew. I don't know if she. Yeah. I, and I, I had that thought. I'm like, did she know? Did she know? Like. I don't know if she knew or she, her face she just was didn't so, trust him. Yeah. Like, so just tried something or, but his face was like, it took him so long to get all those pills to build this up. And it just looked like all hope drained from a man. I was yeah. Blown. That was a moment of performance. That was, uh, wow. I felt so bad for James Caan. And at the same time, I was like, wow, wow. What a win for Annie. Like, it it was so weird that scene how i felt watching that scene uh so there was a lot of great scenes like that where you you can see the the battle and the between the two 
But it's just like a battle of wits a lot of the time. A lot of the time. Like when he's writing. So one thing that we kind of glossed over is at some point or another when he kills Misery um, or she finds out that he's killed Misery, uh, she forces him to light his new book on fire. Which is heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Because you know he's like, oh my God, months of work. Months of work. And he's just trying to be like, well... You know, Annie, I've already sent this off. I've, it's, you know, I've copied it. There's, this is getting published. And she's like, being the super fan that she is, is like, I know that you're superstitious and I know this is the only copy. Light it on fire or I will kill you. She doesn't really say, she doesn't the, say I, I will kill, kill you. you. She just says it can't exist in this world. It doesn't belong. But you in know, this world. the subtext of that line that she's saying is you will die it's you or the book. You or the book. And he burns his book and like just the agony on his face. Like it took him years or maybe not years. He writes pretty quickly. Um, and I get the impression of so Stephen King. obviously Stephen yeah, King. Yeah, I'm getting like, the impression that this is Stephen King and the way is, he writes. Yeah, and, this is Stephen King. He was pretty big at the time that he wrote this. Yeah. And was writing all these horror films. Like he does, because Stephen King, sometimes he gets out these masterpieces and sometimes he gets out these books that are like, consumable yeah well he he when you are writing as much as he does you've got to know that there's going to be some stuff that's going to be like meh yeah exactly like green mile i remember reading that series being like oh my gosh i cannot believe that this is stephen king it's so good it's so unlike a lot of these other books that he writes but I mean, some of them are really like great. the Tommy knockers. I'm not going to lie. I didn't love it. No, but needful things. I loved. Yeah. It all depends on what, you know, where you are at what place you're at. And, and some of his stuff is like readable yeah. and other stuff is like he, pretty brilliant to this day. Can't remember writing Cujo. This is how much this guy writes and how many like, well, I think he was on like a bunch of drugs at the time, but <laughs> He puts out so much content that he doesn't even know a book that he wrote. Which I can get that. Like, that's <sighs> how much he writes. That's how much he writes. Uh, so he decides to go through and write to the, like, write the end of Misery. Like, write Misery back in. Yeah, well, she so forces him, him at that point. Like, the next day he wakes up and she's like, good for you. I'm glad you burned the book. Look, I bought you a typewriter and paper. And um, I flinched. Oh, God. Yeah. The concept of being forced in this place and then and then forced to forced to write to write something that you don't want to write for a super fan. And you got to imagine that that would be so hard on you as a writer to want to write after that. Well, and you and he doesn't. Right. So the first draft, he writes like a bunch of chapters um, and his heart isn't in it. And she actually totally sees that and forces him to start again. And that's, I think that moment for me was the harder moment when he started writing the book for her. It was like, okay, that'll buy you time till yes. you heal. Right. Good plan. Just write it, get out of here yeah. and you'll be fine. And, um, instead she realizes that he's half-assing it. And it was the moment that she says, nope, this is just bullshit write a good misery and he realized because you see his face as he realizes he's gonna have to try to write a really good book and for that one person yeah 
Well, and and also a book that he doesn't want to write. Misery's no. dead. He does not want to do this anymore. You like the way it ended. And the fact that he might have to bring it back, like in a, a good way, you can see the disgust inside of himself that I don't want to write this and now I have to try to make it good. He gets to the end of the book and he knows he's going to, he knows what he's going to do. Yeah. And he's, when he was spending like two minutes in the basement or whatever, he got some lighter fluid. And so he throws the whole thing on the ground, let, puts lighter fluid on it, and he lights the last piece on fire in front of Annie saying, are they going to be together? You know, who's she going to end up with? Who's misery going to end up with? Is she going to find her long lost father? It's all right here. And he lights it on fire. Then he lights the whole book that he spent months writing on fire. And that is when the showdown happens where she grabs him. He grabs her. Meanwhile, he's been in a wheelchair this whole time. He still has no function in his legs. And he grabs her back and starts like he punches her in the face. And it's a great end sequence. It is a great end sequence. Before we talk about this, yeah. can we rewind slightly to talk about the sledgehammer scene? Okay, so the hobbling is probably the, what Misery is most known for. Yeah, so when he woke up, because I think everyone has seen her with the sledgehammer and his legs, right? Okay, well, I have not seen it before. This is my first viewing. You, as, you know, I had never seen... No, 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 but I've never seen... I've, I've heard of it, so I had a vision in my mind, but I've never seen... You've never even seen that image of her? No. Oh, weird, because I've never seen the movie either, but I was well aware that at some point she takes a sledgehammer to his leg. Yeah, I knew, I knew that. I right. just had never seen it. Like, people talk about that scene, and I'm like, well, I don't know what that looks like okay fair i've seen stills of that scene but i've never seen of his foot no of of her with the sledgehammer above her head okay i may have seen that i just like can't remember and so when the movie started because i already knew that she incapacitates him in that way when the movie starts and he does actually break his legs and she does put them into splints and stuff for him i was like I thought there was a sledgehammer. Oh, my and then God. I, and then as he started to get better, I was like, oh, shit. The it, sledgehammer is does exist. Yeah, it's, it's coming. It's just coming later. And it comes after she realizes that he's been out of the room trying to, trying to find yeah, his like, way out. While he's writing this novel for her, she created like she gave him she gives him i guess a, a wheelchair for that yeah so that he can sit at this desk and write at this right like typewriter and uh he takes the time that she's away to like go around the house and plan his escape right so like he steals a knife and he looks through this memory lane book which you find out that kathy bates once was at a hospital and killed children like which i don't understand what the hell like what did she do to these infants? Like she, did she shake them or I don't know. They don't, they never, they never you the tell details, you the details, yeah. but she, she was put behind bars for like killing infants. Yeah. Anyways. Um, and her husband. So, and her husband. Cause throughout the thing, she talks about being a widow, but you don't think that it's because she killed him. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you do. It's but an you interesting uh, memory lane book yeah. that she has. Anyways, so I'll he, say that that was the one part of it that I wasn't that impressed by. Okay. I just don't know that I buy that a person with the level of mental illness that she has 
would put all those things in a scrapbook. Interesting. Because a serial killer would, but I don't take her as a serial killer. Although technically. She is. All those children. And you don't necessarily, not that every serial killer, like, because the thing is, is that the type of serial killer she is, she is not aware that she's a killer. Right. Like she is a killer, but she explains it in her head to the point that she's not aware that she's, she's not a murderer. At fault. Yeah, like she didn't murder anyone. She just had to kill someone in that moment because they she needed to. Like Right. So it seems strange to me that someone who isn't aware that they're a murderer would scrapbook Yeah, that's a good point. Like news stories about how she is a murderer. That's a good point. And and we just needed that It gave us the backstory. It's interesting that you say that because we see that through the sheriff as well as this, like the memory lane book didn't really need to show it because the sheriff shows you the exact same thing. The sheriff shows it to you for sure. I think that it was there as a cop out so that the, the James Conn character knows what can what's know up. that he is going to die. Yeah. Like he realized it, it raises the stakes for him, but I think he already knows like she took a fucking sledgehammer to his legs. He doesn't well, need this at, book. When he oh, sees right. the memory it's, lane, he is after not, it's right after. So what happens is he's in bed and he wakes up like kind of drugged and she, or no, she, he wakes up and she drugs him. And he can't move and he can't really give up a fight. And she says, you've been out. And he's like, what? No, no, I haven't, I haven't been out. What are you talking about? My penguin always faces due south. But that was like out like trips ago. Yeah, trips ago, like a penguin fell off and he grabbed it. And you it and knew he just, when he put back the penguin it was wrong. that it was wrong. Like, And she's crazy, so she knows it's wrong. Anyway... Uh, then she tells him a story about how, like, you know, they needed the Native Americans to still work, but they needed to make sure they wouldn't get away. So they did a surgery, a little procedure called hobbling. And she puts a log between the two of his feet right at the ankle. And she takes a sledgehammer and she smashes the first foot. And what they show is a... It's a it's a pulled back shot above the bed from above the bed of his foot just collapsing over this log. Half of his foot collapses over it is it looks like if you hit silly putty with a sledgehammer or with like not a sledgehammer just a a, hammer. a spoon. If you had a piece of silly putty shaped like a foot and you hit the top as a spoon and it just went over that is what it looks like. Yeah. And I was like so grossed out. And then she says, we have to do the other. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It's it's rough. And how he gets through and past that. I, I will never know. I'm not going to I'm not going to say the ending. I'm not going to say how. It, yeah. How you know what? I ends. think this is enough. This is enough. Yeah. We've given you a story. Lot. We've, we've you told a you a lot of things and that sledgehammer scene is worth watching. Totally. Um, I loved, I loved this movie. I thought it was a thriller. I really enjoyed to it. Love, like a really good, good thriller. I also thought it was kind of an important thing to show today. Seeing as how much fans control content. Right. You know, if you think about all the superhero movies and outrage when they get it wrong and how, you know, 
you have to put Venom in a Spider-Man movie. Then they do worst movie ever. And then they stop making that movie. Like it's interesting what world we live in where the fans think they're entitled to get more out of the, the creators when really the creator can do whatever the hell they want to do guys. Like they're the creator, but we feel like we're personally affected and wronged today when they do something that doesn't live up to our expectations of a character. It's interesting though, because sometimes the fans are, are right. Especially when we're talking about movies and reboots, sometimes the fans are right. And sometimes they're really wrong. And like having, and then going between those two is really an interesting and fine line. Um, And I almost think like the fine line at the end of the day is maybe to give, get creators who are strongly opinioned. I, you know, the thing is I love unexpected deaths and things. So if I was a misery fan going through that experience and like loving her and the books and having her die, I think that would be beautiful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and you know, he, she died having a, having a baby. Yeah. Like, he tried to make it as like wonderful for for the transition as possible. And I think, you know, sometimes you just got to respect that. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like killing off major characters. But people like killing off major characters. So it happens more now. Like, well, think about comic books when they kill off a major character and there's uproar. So they bring the character back. Yeah. And then that becomes the cop out that isn't so fun. I think comic books are a great parallel for this concept of do fans have the right power or the wrong power? Because you find examples of of each where the fans were right and then the examples where the fans were wrong and comic books because they're constantly being rebooted there's a strange world too where people like redo things again and again and again like we've we're about to see three spider-men in a very short amount of time yep and that's strange to me like yeah yeah, we've got another Spider-Man mo- like a whole all reboot. Up. Yeah, yeah, like it's all ready to go and and it's and he already came out in, you know, the Civil Cap- War Civil War movie. But but the majority loved that. Yeah, people loved it. And it's because I think they didn't really like the other reboot of Spider-Man. So it's this really weird world where I'm not sure who's right and who's wrong and maybe a really opinionated creator is the best person to make these decisions, not a studio and not a fan. I'd I'd love to see more control in a creator's hands. Mm-hmm. Series survival. Dun, dun, dun. It is time to come back to series survival. We have some updates. Yes, so we we're not looking at trailers of new TV shows right now. We're actually updating some TV shows that we actually had predictions about. That's right. So let's start with Feud, Betty and Joan. We both said, yeah, this show's coming back. And guess what? It's coming back. And it's going to be a different feud, but the same thing. It's going to be Feud, Prince Charles and Diana. Exactly. I'm actually more excited to watch that than this one. I think because we lived through the tumultuous time. I don't remember Diana and Charles. Anything about Diana and Charles. I think Diana also is like bigger name than Betty and Joan. Yeah. I think that that for sure is a big part of it. Um, 
I'm shocked at how relevant like people really remember her and stuff because I don't like I don't really remember anything about it. It didn't affect me as a kid and like. But I bet it affected your parents. No, they're Eastern European. Oh, yeah. Uh, And I want to say this happened probably during the war in Serbia. I'm not sure exactly when she died, um, but I think it was around that time. So we were very much on that in that end of the world, like thinking about the war and the people back home and all that stuff. But um, I know that it's really big and I'm very curious about it. And I guess that's why. And I I really want to see how they handle it. I want to see it because I didn't know anything about this, but I knew it was a big deal. So of course this other feud, I didn't know anything about and I still don't know anything about, but I do still want to see it. You've seen it. What did you think? Yeah, I I really liked the first episode. I think uh, both Jessica Lange and Susan Sarandon are fantastic in it. Uh, Not my favorite show of the year, but it's still like it packs a good punch for an anthology. Do you think that it'll potentially be able to be like in your top 10? Um, No, probably not. Probably not. Okay. Probably not. I do still want to see it because I love both those actresses. And so, yeah. We've also watched a ton of TV this year. And there's already been so many Netflix originals that I've watched. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's good. There's a lot of good stuff. It's good time for TV. Uh, second show, Santa Clarita Diet. We both said, yeah, this is coming back for season two. And it is. And it is. Nothing much more to say about that. Except uh, I didn't love it. We watched it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen that many new shows actually from 2017. So it currently would fit in my top 10 because I haven't seen 10 2017 shows yet. Okay. Um, but I don't think it'll stay. Uh, here, so right now we are tied at two to two. Yeah. We both said yes to renewals and both shows did get renewed. Right. But here is where Ivana takes the lead. Crashing on HBO is going to get a second season. Ivana said yes. I said no. Have you seen it? No. I I, I think I said no because it didn't look appealing at all. Yeah, I also didn't see it because it looked like one of those comedies that is unfunny and very <laughs> like in like in the know like if you're if you're a comedy person then you probably will love it well it sounds like a lot of people thought it was uh it wasn't unfunny at all and it will be back for a season two see i i I don't know that it means that they didn't think it was unfunny that just meant that they liked it because like means a lot of people i'll give you an example master of none yeah love that show wasn't funny louie not funny like love the show i don't laugh ever like i don't understand he has stand-up I don't comedy think you know hilarious. How to laugh. i think that's your problem it's just like it's situationally amusing and you don't laugh when something's amusing no i i just go hmm hmm, hmm. hmm. <laughs> uh so this is how we're gonna do series survival obviously our main uh, way of doing it when we predict the shows will still be a factor maybe in the summer before fall but as these updates come out we're gonna throw them into the show at the end here just so that you can uh, find out that Ivana is up three to two and uh, yeah and so all the ones that we did up until now are like mid-season show predictions when we're done getting the results of those then we will actually come up with a Punishment for the loser who predicted the least things yeah. to do. Yeah, punishment. 
I've already lost one of these in another podcast. Can't, but we didn't do anything. We never followed uh, up. Can't have that happen again. <laughs> Laughing now, aren't you? And that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in again next week. If you'd like to help us support the show, we would totally appreciate it. So please hop onto iTunes or any podcast service and give us a rating or review. BenSam.com is our intro song source, and we encourage you to check out our show notes for more information about our music, our talented voice actors, and uh, where we find our sound effects. Jay and I love to hear from you, so reach out to us on our website, morethanmovies.net. Or on Facebook at More Than Movies Podcast. Or email us hello at morethanmovies.net. Or you can always catch us on Twitter. I'm at Jester J. I'm at It's Savannah. Thanks again for spending some time with us. We'll be back next Monday with an all new episode. Until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more. More.